None shall ever be confounded, lost, destroyed, ruined, who have built their hope on Jesus Christ. The one we meet in John 19. Let's read together from John 19. May God give us grace to hear and believe his word and may the spirit be at work descend upon us in power as we read the scriptures together and hear them proclaimed. John 19, 1 through 37, and you'll find that on page 1068. No, 1075. John 19, 1 through 37. This is after the Lord Jesus has been condemned in a Jewish court by the Sanhedrin. Then he's turned over to the Gentiles. And it's important for us to remember the whole world, Jews and Gentiles, joined in condemning the Christ. Rejecting the king. So he's now before Pilate, the Roman judge and governor in the land of Judea. Then Pilate took Jesus and flogged him. And the soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head and arrayed him in a purple robe. They came up to him saying, Hail, King of the Jews, and struck him with their hands. Pilate went out again and said to them, See, I am bringing him out to you that you may know that I find no guilt in him. So Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. Pilate said to them, Behold the man. When the chief priests and the officers saw him, they cried out, Crucify him, crucify him. Pilate said to them, Take him yourselves and crucify him, for I find no guilt in him. The Jews answered him, we have a law, and according to that law, he ought to die because he has made himself the son of God. When Pilate heard this statement, he was even more afraid. He entered his headquarters again and said to Jesus, where are you from? But Jesus gave him no answer. So Pilate said to him, you will not speak to me? Do you not know that I have authority to release you and authority to crucify you? Jesus answered him, you would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given you from above. Therefore, he who delivered me over to you has the greater sin. From then on, Pilate sought to release him, but the Jews cried out, if you release this man, you are not Caesar's friend. Everyone who makes himself a king opposes Caesar. So when Pilate heard these words, he brought Jesus out and sat down on the judgment seat at a place called the Stone Pavement and an Aramaic Gabbatha. Now it was the day of preparation of the Passover. It was about the sixth hour. He said to the Jews, Behold your king. They cried out, Away with him, away with him, crucify him. Pilate said to them, Shall I crucify your king? The chief priest answered, We have no king but Caesar. So he delivered him over to them to be crucified. So they took Jesus 
And he went out bearing his own cross to the place called the place of a skull, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. There they crucified him and with him two others, one on either side and Jesus between them. Pilate also wrote an inscription and put it on the cross. It read, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. Many of the Jews read this inscription, for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city, and it was written in Aramaic and Latin and in Greek. So the chief priests of the Jews said to Pilate, Do not write the King of the Jews, but rather this man said, I am the King of the Jews. Pilate answered, What I have written, I have written. When the soldiers had crucified Jesus, they took his garments and divided them into four parts, one part for each, each soldier, also his tunic. But the tunic was seamless, woven in one piece from top to bottom. So they said to one another, let us not tear it, but cast lots for it to see whose it shall be. And this was to fulfill the scripture which says, they divided my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. So the soldiers did these things, but standing by the cross of Jesus were his mother and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, woman, behold your son. Then he said to the disciple, behold your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her to his own home. After this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, said to fulfill the scripture, I thirst. A jar of, full of sour wine stood there, so they put a sponge full of the sour wine on the hyssop branch and held it to his mouth. When Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Since it was the day of preparation, and so that the bodies would not remain on the cross on the Sabbath, for that Sabbath was a high day, the Jews asked Pilate that their legs might be broken and that they might be taken away. So the soldiers came and broke the legs of the first and of the other who had been crucified with him. But when they came to Jesus and saw that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. But one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear, and at once there came out blood and water. He who saw it has borne witness. His testimony is true. And he knows that he's telling the truth, that you also may believe. For these things took place, that the scripture might be fulfilled. Not one of his bones will be broken. And again, another scripture says, they will look on him whom they have pierced. This is God's word. May he bless us by it. If you turn to verses 18 and 19, if you look back there, brothers and sisters, I'd like to spend some time with you this morning proclaiming this message. There they crucified him, and with him two others, one on the other side, on either side, and Jesus between them. Pilate also wrote an inscription and put it on the cross. It read, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. Brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ, there's nothing like putting your prime minister or your president in handcuffs, in an orange suit, and behind bars to prove to everyone out there that that guy's a loser. He's powerless. He's useless. And the only thing that comes close to that is taking a photo of that and sending it out 
to the whole world to put on public display that this guy is a loser. He's useless. That's what's going on at the cross. The enemies of Christ want nothing more than to see him in handcuffs, to arrest him, try him, give him the death sentence, and see his dangling body hanging from a tree on a major highway, on public display, for all the world to see this guy is a big L loser. He's powerless. He's empty. Can that really be our mighty king, this one hanging on a cross? Can he really be our king? And it's obvious for all who see, no. This is a joke. This guy's a fraud. He's disabled. He's defeated. And he's the butt of all kinds of king jokes by the soldiers and by Pilate. From the crown of thorns to saying, behold your king. To putting that title, that inscription, which is the title of his crime above him. This is Jesus of Nazareth, the king of the Jews. The whole point is it's obvious that he's not. And the Jews also said it's obvious he's not. Don't put that on there. Change that to... He said, I am the king of the Jews. But it's not true. Pilate said, what I've written, I've written. And yet, brothers and sisters, there is no king in all history so powerful as King Jesus at this moment dangling pathetically on a cross. This is the moment of greatest power. No king has done so much for his people as this king did at this moment on the cross. See your crucified king and believe in him. This is written, says John, so that you might believe. We want to see three things. He's the king on a cross. He's the king for sinners. And he's the king of glory, those three things. He's the king on a cross. Pilate put above this cursed man. This is Jesus of Nazareth, the king of the Jews. Not that he believed it at all. This is a joke. It's a way to get back at the Jewish people. Yeah, what kind of people are you? That this is the kind of king you have. And yet God is advertising and promoting Jesus Christ, the only true king of the world. God is publicly displaying his son in power and majesty. Here's the true king for you. There's three demonstrations of his kingship here as he's hanging on the cross, the king on the cross. First, He's fulfilling Old Testament prophecy that this is what God's king would do. In Psalm 22, the king says, but I'm a worm and not a man, scorned by mankind, despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They make mouths at me. They wag their heads. They pierce my hands and feet. They divide my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. This is the king. 
the true king. Prophecy proves it. And Isaiah, speaking of that king, that root or shoot coming from the root of Jesse. And the government of the world will rest on his shoulders. How does it describe this king? This king says in Isaiah, I gave my back to those who strike and my cheeks to those who pull out the beard. I did not hide my face from disgrace and spitting. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows. He was bruised for our iniquities. He's proving. God the Father is proving. This is the king worthy of your trust and confidence. The fulfillment of prophecy. The second demonstration of Jesus' kingly power and majesty from the cross is that though he was being tempted by Satan and by all his enemies to come down, if you're the king of the Jews, come down from the cross and we'll believe in you. He proves that he is king by not caving to that temptation. He could have immediately released himself and given himself relief from that suffering and received the accolades of the people. Wow, he's a hero after all. He can come down. But he proved his kingly majesty and courage and power by staying there. He refused to take the easy way out. It was as if he was saying on the cross, and perhaps he did, get behind me, Satan. I will not come down. I will stay and bleed and sacrifice myself to pay the wages of sin. You want to come, a king who stays through the hardship to rescue you? Here's the power of the cross. And the third demonstration, and greatest of all, he's reigning as the world's king on the cross because he's accomplishing the greatest work in all history. No king ever did so much as this king on this cross. No king ever did such mighty works as this king did on this cross. This work is greater than the healing of the layman, giving sight to the blind man, casting out demons, raising Lazarus from the dead. He's accomplishing the rescue of his people. As he hangs there on the cross, he's the mighty conqueror of his foes. You know what he's doing? He's fighting and he's winning the battle. And though his heel is being bruised, he's crushing the head of the serpent. One man writes, the lion of the tribe of Judah bleeds, but his blood is his enemy's overthrow. Think of what he's doing there. Because he's paying for sin. And by paying for sin, he's destroying sin. And by destroying sin, he's destroying the work of the devil. By destroying the work of the devil, he's taking the Satan's leverage out of your life. Freeing you from Satan's power and might. And setting you free to serve the living God. And above all, he's setting you free from the judgment of God. 
by bearing in his own body and soul the wrath of God. What power in the cross. And though the dangling, bleeding, writhing in agony, Jesus appears in the eyes of the world to be a laughingstock and a big L loser. Here's the photo op you need if you want to prove that, prove that Jesus is a nobody. That's the way it appears to the eyes of the flesh, but we know that's actually the opposite. Nobody proved his power and his kingship and his worthiness of your trust than this one hanging on a cross, king of the Jews. That's where you find your forgiveness, brothers and sisters. That's where you find your life and your hope and your salvation. That's how you become a new creation. Here's a place of power for you. In all the weaknesses of the flesh and the threat of judgment and the death sentence that's hanging on your life, here's the way out. He is the way out. Trust him. That's the power of the cross. Oh, to see my name written on his wounds, for through your suffering I am free. Death is crushed to death. Life is mine to live. One through your selfless love. This, the power of the cross. Son of God slain for us. What a name. What a cost. We stand forgiven at the cross. We see also the king for sinners here on the cross. Here on the cross. Jesus of Nazareth, the king of the Jews, is the king for sinners. Look at verse 19 or 17 of chapter 19. He went out bearing his own cross to the place called the place of a skull, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. And there they crucified him and with him two others, one on either side and Jesus between them. There he is, the king of the Jews, stuck in the middle of two criminals, scoundrels, lowlifes, scum of the earth, who deserve the worst punishment because they're the dregs of society, the worst criminals. Crucifixion was reserved for the worst. And all the gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, make a point of his position. He's crucified between two criminals, Matthew and Mark, and Luke adding, one on the right, one on his left. It's a joke, of course, a parody. It appears not to be random. Oh, let's put these three guys up, and he just happens to be in the middle. But because the Gospels make such a point of it, it appears to be very much on purpose, the soldiers making fun. Here's the ringleader. Here's the kingpin, Jesus of Nazareth. Hey, Jesus, king of the Jews, you got two subjects. And they'll be dead with you in a few hours. What a king. What a kingdom. Ha <laughs> ha. And yet, stuck in the middle, God the Father, Jesus the Son, are promoting and displaying the glory, the majesty, the power, and the love of Christ. He's being featured there really as the center, the worst, the ringleader of sinners. 
the chief. But it's all according to God's plan, and God is advertising and proclaiming the kingship of his Christ in this arrangement. Jesus between them. Jesus in the middle. The king in the middle. And actually in Luke 22, just before his arrest, Jesus said that. I tell you that this scripture must be fulfilled in me. When they want to stop his arrest and trial and crucifixion. He says to his disciples, I tell you that this scripture must be fulfilled in me. From Isaiah 53. And he was numbered with the transgressors. Numbered with them. Here's the proof. Hanging out with them. Literally. In the center. Behold your king. Numbered with the transgressors. Right in the middle, one of them. You see the power of the cross, brothers and sisters. What does this tell you about King Jesus? Two things. Two things mainly. First, the king who came to save you does not work by remote, does not work at a distance, does not want to keep his hands clean. Doesn't stay out of the grime and the needs of your life, the filth. He jumps right into the middle, right into the mess to save you and look no further than the cross. What further proof do you need that Jesus cares about you in your lostness and brokenness and wickedness? He wasn't forced there. He said, no one takes my life from me. I lay it down of my own accord. And when the disciples tried to stop him from going to the cross, he stopped them, he rebuked them. Don't get in the way of my mission. He wasn't forced. As much as he feared and trembled at the hellish pain and rejection of the cross, he wanted to go there for God's glory and for the salvation of his people, salvation of sinners. As you see there, he's fully committed to stepping right into the thick of our crimes and curse and judgment. What a king who's willing to go right where you are to pick you up and rescue you. Call on this king as the king who cares so much. He rushed right into the middle of your pain and right into the middle of your guilt said, I'll take that. I'll take that. And the second thing this king in the middle shows to us about himself is that he's calling sinners right and left and left and right to come to him and trust in him and accept them as the king who saves us from our sins in judgment. And we know that one of the two men believed in him and was saved and entered God's kingdom that day. While the other continued to hate and revile the Christ. And as far as we know, went to an eternal punishment of hell. Rather than accept Christ's punishment in his place. Dear sinner, 
dear criminal, dear lawbreaker, Christ is in your midst to save you. Take all your guilt and filth on himself and set you free and bring you to God and give you paradise. That's why he came. And though physically this might not be symbolic, spiritually certainly is. Think of him with his hands stretched out toward the criminals on either side as if to say, I'm reaching out to you. Come to me. Come to me. Because we know Jesus as the God says, Romans 10, Romans 10, whose arms are stretched out to you, calling you to come to him that you might be saved from all your sins and have eternal life. And even as we who are saved still calling out to us, come to me with all that makes you weary and I will give you rest. The worries, the sins, the temptations, the hurts, the regrets, the bitterness, the despair, the discouragement, all that you have. Come to me. Because now he's in heaven reigning on the throne. And his hands are still stretched out. That's the way he went up in blessing. But he could not reign in heaven at the right hand of God if he did not first reign on the cross and purchase the kingdom for us. Though he did many great works on earth in his miracles and in his teaching and in his example, none of his miracles and teaching and example could establish a kingdom. It would all have been wasted if he did not pay for our salvation to build a kingdom of us. The kingdom is founded in the blood of the cross. The power of his kingship is founded in the blood of the Christ and in the only reason he can reign in heaven now and continue to receive sinners and help us in our time of need is because he paid for that. He bought that. He established that. His rights over you. His salvation for you when he was enthroned upon the awful tree, there to die for you and me. Behold your king. His arms are stretched out to save you on the right and on the left. He has for you a full salvation, a full righteousness, a complete forgiveness, a new life, strength to keep you going to the finish line till you reach the eternal kingdom. He has everything. Behold your king. And we see thirdly, we meet the king on the cross, the king for sinners, He is the king of glory. Look at verses 19 and 20. Pilate also wrote an inscription and put it on the cross. It read, Jesus of Nazareth, the king of the Jews. Many of the Jews read this inscription. 
For the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city, and it was written in Aramaic and Latin and in Greek. On this day, officially, Christ's kingdom was established on earth. On this day, officially, he defeated sin and the kingdom of Satan. On this day, officially, he purchased redemption for all the citizens of the kingdom. And he proves that on Sunday morning in his resurrection, that the payment is complete. The purchase went through. He was successful. But the success was accomplished on the cross. King of glory. And now he's reigning in heaven at God's right hand. And he still holds the title king. On earth, on the cross, it was, this is Jesus of Nazareth, king of the Jews. Now in heaven, there's a name written on his robe, king of kings and lord of lords. And what Pilate wrote remains forever true. This is Jesus of Nazareth, the king of the Jews. But what does that mean, king of the Jews? King for the Jews only? No, he came from the Jews. Salvation is of the Jews. For the nations, as the Samaritan woman said, I've met the Savior of the world. The hands that were nailed to the cross overcame the world and founded in the midst of the kingdom of darkness, the kingdom of light and peace for all nations. And so on Good Friday, the crucified king reversed the course of history. Because the whole world is headed for death and destruction. The whole world is headed for the curse, darkness, hell. Endless pain and misery, the whole world. And on that day, and on that cross, Jesus reversed that by swallowing that in himself, in his own person. He took it, he made it his own, so that instead we get forgiveness and life and a whole new future, and we become a new creation, and our life starts now heading toward the paradise of God, like the thief that turned to Jesus. In him, the whole course of your life individually is turned around. And if you're still living in your sin and loving your sin and staying in it, you're headed for judgment. God's wrath remains upon you. But if you trust in him, the glorious king, he turns your whole life and your whole world around. Not upside down, but right side up. So that glory now becomes yours in the glory of Christ. I love it that that inscription on the cross was written in the three main world languages of that day, Aramaic, Latin, and Greek. 
on that major highway going into Jerusalem around feast time, together with Jews and Gentile merchants, there's an estimated 50 to 60,000 travelers that passed by the cross and read the gospel. This is Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. God publicly declaring, this King of glory is for the whole world and telling us, the citizens of the kingdom, go take this message of the kingdom out to all the nations. This is the good news. The whole world needs to hear. Whatever language you're from and whatever tribe you're from, whatever people you're from, whatever your background and culture, whatever your sins, he's for you. This gospel's for you. Take him. Believe in him. He's the only hope, the king of the Jews, for the whole world. So let nothing stop you from coming to him and let not, nothing stop you from proclaiming him, sharing him to your family, to your neighbors, that this indeed is Good Friday. And what he did there as a great king is good news for everyone who believes. Man of sorrows, what a name for the son of God who came, ruined sinners to reclaim. Hallelujah. What a savior. Amen. Father in heaven, thank you for publicly displaying the king of glory on the cross. Lord Jesus, from the cross, you reigned over sin, death, hell, and darkness, and you won. You conquered. You paid it all. You absorbed it in your own body and soul. And now in your name, there's life, glory, Oh, the power of the cross of Christ, the power of the Christ crucified, risen from the dead. We come to you to receive that power for our own lives, to save us and to strengthen us in the way of salvation. Lord, bring us there. Bring us to you. In Jesus we pray.